Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Father, we, we thank you for this word. Luke's version is a little bit different than Matthew's. And as we look at this this morning, I pray you'd give us insight into your heart and why you told us to pray these words and that, Lord, it may establish something in our heart for our now and for our future. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was walking through the living room last night and the TV was on, and uh, I, I've been noticing this more and more, especially during the pandemic, well, mainly during this pandemic, that you have these commercials with celebrities looking into the camera and saying things like, we're here for you. And as I heard that last night, I, and I've heard it many times, I, I, I asked Lori, I said, what does that even mean? I mean, what, what is that? If I called their unlisted number... Will they hop on a plane and bring me some toilet paper? You know, what does that mean? We're here for you. What in their in their beautiful mansions? You know, with everything they need, we're here for you. And I just kind of chuckled at that. And and then I got to thinking how often Christians say the easy thing. I'm praying for you. You know, we we say that, don't we? What do we mean by that? I'm praying for you. Well, it means I'm going to pray for you. But when we say that, are we at the same time unwilling to be a part of their answer? I'm praying for you, but that's about all I'll do. I'll keep my distance. I'm praying for you. I've actually seen skeptics accuse Christians of this very thing. I've been seeing this a lot in the media the last couple of years. When, people, when, when uh, Christians say, you know, something's going on somewhere in the world or, you know, in the United States, and they're saying, we're praying. And, our, and the skeptics, unbelievers, are saying things like, we don't need your prayers. We need your bodies. We need your help. We need your money. We need this. And to be honest, when we can help, we should help. The Bible says that it's when unbelievers see our good works that they will glorify our Father in heaven. What, is this, what does this have to do with thy kingdom come? Well, stay tuned. I'm going to tell you how that fits in with this. This is the fifth part. Uh, the, thy kingdom come is the title of this series. I've spent two messages introducing the concept of God's kingdom. We'll call them introductions. And the last two messages, I was, I've been kind of laying down some groundwork. I suppose, I suppose they could be introductions as well. But I hope to begin to answer this question that I threw out the very first message of the very first message, four messages, five messages ago. When I asked this question, and I've, and I've repeated this in subsequent messages, what do we mean when we pray, thy kingdom come? What are we really asking for when we say, thy kingdom come? And I'm sure you've said this many times throughout your, your life as a Christian, as a believer, once you became a Christian, maybe even before you became a Christian, because even unbelievers know this as the Lord's Prayer. 
And you've said that many, many, many times. But what are we really asking for? And what does God want us, why does God want us to pray this? Uh, Jesus certainly wants us to pray this prayer in Luke's version. If you'll go to the next slide. In Luke's version that we just read, I'm gonna, I'm taking part of the Luke's version out of here and I want to show you this, that Jesus said this, when you pray, say. And let me just say that the word say here is, I'm going to give you, get a little geeky and give you a little bit of grammar here, but the word say, the verb say here is in the imperative mood. Now, imperative simply means it's a command, okay? A few minutes ago, I said you may be seated. And that's not a command. That's not in, in the imperative mood because it gives you a choice. You can stay, you can remain standing if you want to. I said you may be seated. But if I, if I said instead, sit down, that's a command. That's imperative. That's an imperative. You tell your kid, eat your broccoli. Go to your room. Those are in, that's in the imperative mood. And the Greek word here for say, this verb here, is in the imperative mood, which means Jesus said, when you pray, say. This is what I want you to say. Use these words. Say this. So he's, he's commanding us. It's something we're supposed to do. So it's not a suggestion. God wants us to pray this prayer. And I've said from the very beginning, thy kingdom come in the Lord's prayer comes second only to his name being hallowed and revered, which we just did in that beautiful new song. Revering his name, speaking his name with reverence. So what do we do with this call to pray these words, thy kingdom come? In my opinion, a lot of Christians treat this line of the Lord's prayer differently than they do the rest of the prayer. Many view this phrase as a passive request for a future fulfillment. Like we're saying, God, we pray that somehow, some way, someday, your kingdom would come. That's what we're, a lot of Christians think that's what we're praying. Somehow, some way, someday, may your kingdom come. We're down here crossing our fingers and waiting for that day. But there's two problems with this, and I want to address these two problems this morning. First of all, when we pray thy kingdom come, this is not something God is going to do alone or exclusively. Don't think that when you say thy kingdom come, that we just sit back in our easy chairs and we and expect God to make it happen. That's one of the issues, I think, that we have with this, what Christians have with this. Uh, and the second thing is, it is not something that is in the distant future. Somehow, some way, someday, in the distant future. I'm going to talk about the second one first. This is just one of several requests. When we look at the Lord's Prayer, I don't know if you've realized this or not, but when you look at the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer is basically just one request after another. It's, it's, I think, about six requests, maybe seven. Six or seven requests, one request after another. That makes up the Lord's Prayer. But if you notice in those requests, notice the immediacy of each of the other requests. Notice how each request is expected to, be, to happen right then. For instance, give us this day our daily bread. Give us when? This day our daily bread. 
Not tomorrow, not next week, unless you're fasting. You know, when you say, give us this day our daily bread, we're, we're asking for bread right now. When we pray, forgive us our trespasses, are we saying, forgive us our trespasses eventually? Or are we saying, forgive us our trespasses sometime in the distant future? I want to be forgiven right now. I don't want God to forgive me eventually when he gets around to it. Or when we pray, deliver us from evil in the next year or two when you get around to it. So each of the requests, when, when we pray, hallowed be your name at the end of time one day in the, in the long future ahead of us, hallowed be your name. Each of the requests there's an expectation that is going to be fulfilled right now, immediately, in our time, in our day, right here, right now. I believe that that is God's expectation as well. Why, why when all of the other requests are expected to be done right here, right now, why, why do Christians think that the king, thy kingdom come is some kind of end-time fulfillment? All the other words are expected right here. Hallowed be not your name, thy kingdom come, then it goes to the next one. So why pick that one out and say, that's some kind of future thing? I believe God's expectation is, is that we are to pray that because it's expected that it happen in our day, in our time. And it should be our expectation as well. I think it's why Jesus proclaimed the nearness of the kingdom during his earthly ministry. He said, the kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. Now let me talk about the other issue that I mentioned. The one that I think makes Christians view this passively. The one that makes Christians think that it's God that's going to do all this and we just sit back and kind of want, we pray it, we pray it to happen. We pray and then hope it happens. We pray thy kingdom come and are hoping that God does something about this mess down here on this earth. God, when are you going to fix all of this? Hey, your Christians pray that, say that, say that all the time. Where is God? Why isn't God doing something? And before I talk about this, let me remind you why Jesus taught the disciples to pray this way in the first place. Remember, we looked at this, uh, Jesus taught this prayer in response to the request of the disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Now, when Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Notice what it said. Jesus was praying, and when he finished, what, in other words, they were watching Jesus pray. They were paying attention to Jesus praying. And they were so impressed that they practically begged Jesus, teach us to pray. Had they never prayed before? I mean, there must have been something impressive about it. There must have been something so different about it they th that they thought, ah, it's as though I've never prayed before. When they watched Jesus pray. What had they seen? What did they notice about Jesus praying then that was different from theirs or from others? Had they never seen people pray before? Most indications are the disciples came from Jewish families. They would have been raised in, on, in, in, in the Torah, the Old Testament. They would have been, they would have been prayers. They'd have watched their parents pray. 
And, and so they would have seen that. And I'm certain that they would have seen the religious leaders pray because Jesus made a big deal out of, he pointed out that the Pharisees were always going around blowing trumpets and making a lot of fanfare about, watch us pray. Because they made a big deal about their prayers. They made an open show of their prayers. But when the disciples saw Jesus pray, they said, we want to pray like that. We want to be, we want our prayers to sound like that and look like that. Had they never prayed before? So what was it about Jesus' prayer that captivated them? I'm going to suggest something to you. I, 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 this is my opinion, and I believe that, that this is the reason they were impressed by Jesus' prayers because they saw that Jesus' prayers were not hypocritical. That Jesus knew that he was the answer to his own prayers. That he didn't just pray for someone's healing, he healed them. He would pray for them, but he would also heal them. He didn't just pray for someone's deliverance, he delivered them. In other words, he acted he didn't just pray prayers, he lived out the prayers that he prayed. They watched him pray, but then they watched him take action after the prayers. Perhaps we can imagine Jesus in, in the Lord's Prayer, not just praying this prayer, but living it out on a daily basis. They didn't have to hear him say that the words, thy kingdom come. They watched him establish the kingdom everywhere he went. So he was living out his prayers. He was, he was the life and breath of his prayers. And so should we. We should be. I noticed a number of years ago in the Lord's Prayer that each one of the requests in the Lord's Prayer requires action on my part. I already talked about the immediacy of it, that each one was expected right then and right there. But I also noticed that I was, as I was looking each one, at each one of the requests, that each one of them required action on my part. When I close my eyes at the dinner table and I pray, give us this day our daily bread, I don't expect to open my eyes and see bread materialize on my table. Has that happened to any of you? Even though you've prayed this prayer many times? We don't expect that. We know that God is the one that, that blesses us, that provides for us and gives to us, but we also know that we have to get in the car and go to HEB and put our masks on and get our bread and come home and put it on the table. And then we pray and say, God, thank you. You're the provider. Give us this day our daily bread. We know that it takes an action on our part. Okay? So when I ask forgiveness, I also know that it requires that I forgive. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does that, re that requires something of me. I'm asking for something, but I also know that it requires me to get on the phone, write a letter, do whatever I need to do to forgive trespasses. Also, in the other, you know, some of the other requests, uh, for, uh, you know, lead us not into temptation. Okay, so what's my responsibility there? Not go to places that's going to tempt me. To, in, to intentionally choose not to go to those places they're going to tempt me. So that requires something of me as well. God, I'm going to, I know I, I, I've had a problem with, you know, alcoholism, let's say. But I'm going to go into this bar and I pray that you will not let me be tempted. Well, don't be stupid. You know, it requires something of us. So each one of these prayers, 
hallowed be your name. I'm supposed to revere God's name. I can't just pray that. I hope your name gets hallowed out there somewhere. But I am supposed to revere his name. So every single one of them requires something of me. So does thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come requires we are to be responsible in, in establishing God's rulership in his reign and declaring his kingdom on earth. I bear the responsibility to bring that to pass. It's not a passive thing on our part, but a part of what I am called to do. We must not only, hear this, this is an important statement here. We must not only pray the Lord's prayer, we must live the Lord's prayer. We must live the Lord's prayer. Oh boy, you know, it was much easier when I just had to pray it. Now you're telling me i got to live it. you you got to live it. You've got to live the Lord's Prayer. That's what, that's what impressed the disciples about Jesus. He prayed and then did, and He prayed and did, and He prayed and He did. And one place He told the disciples, He said, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, and He told them to pray. He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the field. That's Matthew chapter 9, you know what he did the next chapter? He sent the disciples out into the field. You know, very next chapter. He said, pray for it, and by the way, you're it. You're going to be the ones that fulfill that. So we have to live the Lord's Prayer. So when I pray, thy kingdom come, what I'm doing is I'm calling forth for the reign or rulership of God to be established on earth. But I'm not just calling it forth, but I'm actively living it out and seeking to impart and establish it wherever I go. I know that I, Michael Derringer, cannot have an impact on the entire planet we call Earth. But I can have an impact on the part of Earth in which God has planted me. I can have an impact on that Earth, on that part of Earth. And guess where this starts? This was new to me yesterday. I had not planned on sharing this. That's why there has to be a part two to this, because I want to spend the rest of the next few minutes on this, and I'll be done. But as I was writing that yesterday, I was convicted because, again, I saw the responsibility in every one of these these things. And when it came to thy kingdom come, again, don't think it's that thy kingdom come, the rulership and reign and kingdom of God has to come out there somewhere. But guess where, guess where it starts? It, it starts right here. When I pray thy kingdom come on earth, am I not earth? Are you not earth? Were, ne- were we not created from the earth? Are we not bits of clay? Doesn't the Bible say in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I'm an earthen vessel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. I am earth. And so when I pray, thy kingdom come on earth, I better start right here. I better ask God, I better be not only asking God, but living out the kingdom of God, the kingship of God, the rulership of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. It starts right here. The kingdom, thy kingdom come right here in me, in this part of earth. Thy will be done right here in this earthen vessel. And of course, we move out from here because it's not just about us, but it better start with us. That's what I want to emphasize this morning. The kingdom the reign of God starts here. He must be Lord 
of our lives. Let's not be hypocrites and pray for his kingdom to come when, when we are unwilling to live in that kingdom on earth. And I could get on my soapbox that I've been on off and on for months now and talk about Christians who, you know, say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and yet don't have a clue what he's, what he requires of them in, in daily life and, and could care less what is required of them in their daily life. So that's hypocrisy when we pray those kinds of things and say, thy kingdom come on earth, that kingdom come, and it starts with me and yet be unwilling to live out that kingdom on a daily basis in my life and live according to that kingdom. If we pray this way, we must be prepared to live this way. And, and let's live the prayers that we pray, and while we're at it, let's live the songs we sing. <laughs> Heard a man say one time, and I and I partially believe it, that Christians don't lie; they sing their lies. They we sing about following Jesus, and we sing about these things, and then go off and and do our own thing and live our own way, and forget that God has required something of us to live in a certain way according to His Word. Jesus said, "How can you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? How can you do that? How can you say I'm your Lord and yet you you don't?" You don't treat me as Lord. You don't, you don't come under my lordship in your life. So thy kingdom come, thy will be done begins with us. And then it goes out from there. And that's the part I want to talk to you about next week. That's the part I've been shooting for from the beginning of this is what I want to talk to you about next week. But the Lord put this on my heart this morning, or yesterday rather, that it starts with us. You're an earthen vessel. And your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be heavenly beings, heavenly citizens, right? That's what the scripture calls us. We're citizens of heaven, so we should act like citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven, what does that look like? Amen? 